Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. That's the question, how will you and I live? Over the next 10 weeks, I'm pretty excited because we're going to talk about what it means to live like Jesus. It's a pretty simple idea because Jesus' life was not complicated. And yet, if we do exactly that, live like Jesus, in 10 weeks, that's how long this series is going to last, in 10 weeks, the world will be impacted. I really mean that because over those 10 weeks, I'm going to be going to Cuba. Some of you might be going to some other places. Some of you will certainly be in contact with people that are uh, through the internet that are in places other than Saxonburg. And even out there in Saxonburg and the surrounding communities, we will impact others because of living more and more like Jesus. Now, for some of you, living like Jesus is going to mean making a first-time commitment to him. What I mean by that is not that you're going to say with your mind, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus lived, or even I believe Jesus died and rose from the dead. But what it means is you will commit your whole mind, heart, body, soul, everything, spirit, to him, Because God, do, God doesn't want just our minds or just our hearts. He wants us. And living like Jesus means living with a passionate commitment to everything that he taught and everything that he did in his life. So from head to toe, from inside to outside, we will be different if we live like Jesus. Today's take-home point, for those of you who are first-time guests, we seek to make just one point here every week. Here it is. Jesus said it is enough for us to be like him. We're going to be able to see in many different ways over these 10 weeks as we follow Jesus' life and teaching how we can live like him. And if you make that commitment, Jesus called it being born again. If you would do that today, 10 weeks from now, you will already be well on your way to growing and being and living like him. For those of us who have already come to know Jesus as our Savior and Lord, then what it's going to mean to live like Jesus over these next 10 weeks is we're going to renew our commitment to him. We're going to deepen our knowledge of him and our love for him. And our passion is going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in such a way that when people see us 10 weeks from now, they're going to go, what's going on with you? There's going to be a noticeable, tangible difference in our lives. And they're going to want to know. And that's when we can say, I'm simply living more like Jesus in my everyday life. Would you like to do that too? So for the, for the last month, we focused like a laser beam in just one area of our life as Jesus followers, generous giving. What we're going to do now for the next 10 weeks, for the next two and a half months, is we're going to take a broad overview of what Jesus called the narrow way. He said there's this narrow way that leads to life. And the life he was talking about was eternal life. And he said, if you walk that narrow way throughout this life, you will end up in heaven one day. And that's what we're going to be talking about during these 10 weeks together. So before we move on, I want to address something a number of you have been, uh, not a number, half a dozen or so of you have been asking me recently, Pastor Chris, why don't we talk more about the end times around here? Why don't we talk about the book of Revelation around here more often? Well, I have a quick answer to that. I don't know what that book's about. I mean, I know what it's about. It's about 
suffering and tribulation for those who don't follow Jesus. I know it's about Jesus is coming back and he's going to establish his kingdom forever. I know it's about praise and worship and glorifying God, but I don't know who the Antichrist is. And I don't know who Gog and Magog might be today. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that do. They know everything about the end times. Here's all I know. Jesus said about the end times. Be ready. Be ready. I'm coming. Be ready. My job as your pastor is only one job. This is what I see as my job. Getting you ready. Getting me ready. So when Jesus comes back, we're going to be able to say, we expected you. We were not surprised because Jesus said he's coming back like a thief in the night. Nobody's going to know when he comes. Well, you don't have to know if you're ready, right? So that's what's going to happen. We're going to be ready when Jesus comes back because we're going to be living like him. I guarantee you, if we're living like Jesus when he comes back, he's going to be happy. And that's all I care about is making Jesus happy. So someday we might talk about Revelation, but not in this year or next, probably. Okay, if Jesus comes back before then, it'll be a moot point anyway, won't it? Okay, so let's take a quick overview Let's take a quick overview of these 10 weeks. First week is today. What we're going to talk about today is like our master. As our take-home point says, Jesus said, it is enough to be like him. Now, there are a lot of people that think being a Christian is just following a bunch of rules and regulations. There are a lot of people that think being a Christian is just coming to church on the weekend and doing Bible studies. But Jesus said, being a follower of Jesus is living like him. Wow, he was perfect. So that's going to be a tall order, isn't it? Then next week, we're going to talk about baptized in water and the Spirit. What we're doing, as I said, we're going to follow through the life of Jesus. The very first public act of Jesus' ministry was to be baptized. And so we're going to talk about next week what it means to be baptized in water because Jesus said everybody who's his disciple should be baptized in water. But he also said that everybody should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about the normative practice of believers in Jesus Christ. Baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's next week. Then the next week, what happened after Jesus got baptized? He was sent out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for 40 days to be tempted. And we're going to look at his temptation, and what we're going to see is if we're going to be about winning the war over temptation, we need to do what Jesus did. And it's going to be far simpler than any of us imagined. Not easy, but simple. Then the next week, Jesus gets to the task. Why did, Jesus, why did Jesus come? He said this. He came to proclaim the kingdom. The very first thing out of Jesus' mouth, public ministry was this. Repent. Turn around, that is, because the kingdom of God is near. So we're going to talk about kingdom first, what it means to put the kingdom of God first in every area of our lives. Because when we do that, Jesus said, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else that we need is going to be added to us. And then in weeks five and six, we're going to be talking about what Jesus' disciples are and what Jesus' disciples do. Those are actually just opposite sides of the same coin. Because once we are like Jesus, then we'll do what Jesus did. So we're going to look in the Sermon on the Mount at the Beatitudes and the passage about salt and light during those two weeks. Then the next four weeks, to close out the series, there's going to be four weeks where we do Discipline 101, Compassion 101, Faith and Healing 101, and belonging 101. Well, 101 says we're just introducing these topics. Discipline is the part of every person's life who ever wants to accomplish anything meaningful. And certainly to follow Jesus is the most meaningful thing we would ever do. So we're going to talk about some basic disciplines for following Jesus. 
Then we're going to talk about compassion. Jesus actually believed that compassion was more important than physical healing. And we're going to prove that that week. So we hope you'll be there for that. And then faith and healing, we're going to look at the connection between faith and healing in Jesus' ministry. And we're also going to talk about why is it that we don't always get the healing that we pray for here in the 21st century. And then the final week, Belonging 101, for me, it's one of my favorite topics because Jesus was uh, very different than most religious leaders because he really wasn't a religious leader. He came to implement a new kingdom, the kingdom of God on the earth. And what Jesus did, he said, y'all come on and belong. And after you belong, I'll teach you what you need to believe and then your behavior will change. And here at New Life, we have that same attitude. We want everybody who wants to come to come and feel like you belong. And as you come and belong over time, what's going to happen, you're going to see our beliefs will come out. They come out in our teaching, but hopefully they come out in our living. And you'll say, wow, they believe in Jesus as the Son of God. That's an interesting belief. I wonder if I should believe that. And you'll start to believe. And after you start to believe, then what happens is our behaviors change because of our beliefs. So you can see why I'm so excited about this 10-week series. I really do believe that it has the opportunity to cause each of us in the room today to live more like Jesus 10 weeks from now, actually today and next week and next week, than today. And that's what life's all about. Once we know Jesus is becoming like him, mature as he is. So I want to tell you a little secret. Last week was the last week to sign up for life groups, okay? Last week was the last week to sign up for life groups. Why am I winking? Because if you didn't sign up for a life group, which is a home group, and you want to sign up today, you can. But you have to see me personally. Don't put something in the offering. Just see me personally. And some of you have said to me, Pastor Chris, I signed up for a life group. I didn't hear anything. That's because um, some of you are slow in signing up for life groups. And there's no point in me calling and telling you which group you're in because you might be in a different group by tonight. So while I'm watching the Super Bowl because I don't care who wins or loses the Super Bowl, I'm going to be assigning people to life groups. So if you want to be in a life group, see me after worship today. Why am I talking about this? Because practicing is the most important way to get better at anything. Actually, perfect practice makes perfect, right? Well, a life group is a good way to practice these things we're going to be talking about. Because here's what I know, and I'd say this, I don't know, 50 times a year. No, probably only 20 times a year at New Life. Information minus application equals information. You can come here for 10 weeks. You can take notes. You can do all that stuff. And if you don't apply anything that you learn, you're just going to be the same 10 weeks from now as you are today. But information plus application in the power of the Holy Spirit, wow, that brings transformation. That's the goal of our life, to be transformed. Transformed just means to change shape, change form, to be more, more like Jesus. Okay, so let's turn to today's focus. Like our master, Today's scripture is very brief. If you have your Bible or your you know, Bible app, I'd ask you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 6, just verses 39 and 40. Now, while it's a short passage of scripture, it lays the foundation for everything that's going to come after this week in the next nine uh, messages. So, if you're able, would you please stand, and we're going to look on the screen and read together. These are words from Jesus. It says that. Jesus gave this illustration. So, would you... Read God's word with me. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, 
but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth that we can become like Jesus. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we will become like him. And my prayer today is very specific, that we will apply one truth from this message that will let us walk out of here to live more and more like Jesus. We ask this prayer in his name. Amen. Please be seated. So Jesus, we're told, gave this illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Jesus was asking a rhetorical question here. You know, it was just a, he, he knew the answer. Everybody knew the answer. And he actually answers his own question with another question. Aren't they both going to fall in a ditch? Of course they are. If you have two blind people leading, one's leading the other, they're going to get off the path. They're going to fall in a ditch. What's his point? It's a pretty simple point. If we're going to help someone else, we need to be farther ahead or more skilled or just have more vision than the person we're helping. I want you to think about something right now. Why is it that I get to sit up here and preach most weekends out of the year? Why is it that it's either me or Pastor Brad or Mark or very rarely some outside person like Pastor Mark Geppert? Why don't, why don't we just say this week's Patty's week, next week's Justin's week, next week's Steve's week, next week is Lori's week? Why don't we do that? Well, there's a reason for that. The reason is before I sit up here or before Brad or anybody who sits up here or stands up here and preaches, we study the passage that we're looking at very thoroughly. We pray every day that God will empower us to speak his truth in love. And, and before every service, um, before the day begins, we get elders or somebody else to come and lay hands and pray for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit that what we say will be truth from God's word that can be applied in our hearts and lives to transform us. What I'm saying is we prepare thoroughly because we believe what we're doing matters eternally. We believe that everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere, and the decisions we make now matter for eternity, so we take this very seriously. And that's why it's a few of us who do this and not all of us. Now, as we read God's Word and interpret it to you, there may be a time when you say, I don't think that's right. I think Pastor Chris got it wrong. Well, please let me know, because we want to be corrected if we're wrong, we want to know because we are called to rightly divide the word of truth. We're not, we're not afraid of somebody coming up to us and saying, I, I think you got that wrong. We seek never to do that, but we know we're human. We're like our teacher, but we're not better than our teacher, you see? So what we're understanding from this position is we're students. And that's why Jesus said this. Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Jesus spoke those words to 12 guys. The disciples, or the apostles we call them, they knew more about Jesus than anybody on the earth at that time. They had already been with him for a while. They were going to be with him for three years altogether, day in, day out. They were going to be with him, and they knew better than anybody else what Jesus' plan was and what Jesus' teachings were, and they saw how he healed and cast out demons. They were in the inner circle, and yet Jesus said to them, a student is not greater than the teacher, but when the student is fully trained, then they will become like the teacher. You know, sometimes we go to school and we have a great teacher, or, or maybe we have a great coach in a sport or a great instructor for music or something else, and, or even a pastor, and we go, wow, I want to be like that person someday. So we end up being a teacher, or we end up being a coach, or we end up being an instructor or a pastor. But the thing is, 
Um, you know, sometimes the student does become greater than the teacher. There are coaches who have coached athletes who end up being professional athletes, and they never were. There are teachers who, you know, teach math, and, and their student ends up coming up with some formula that nobody ever heard of before. But what Jesus is saying is when I'm the teacher, when I'm the coach, when I'm the instructor or the pastor, there's no one better than me. Nobody ever said to Jesus after he preached a message, well, oh, he's a little off today, you know? He, all, he was always on. When Jesus got done teaching, nobody said, well, I don't think he's right about that. Well, I mean, the Pharisees sometimes said they didn't think he was right, but they knew that there was a power that they couldn't deny. In fact, Jesus taught like nobody ever. In fact, his authority was such that he would take the word of God, what we would call the Old Testament, because that's all they had at that time, and he would say, you know, you've heard it written, it was this, but I'm telling you it's something else. Jesus added to the word of God. So how, what does that tell us about Jesus? Well, it tells us really he was either crazy or he was God, because you can't add to the word of God unless you're God. And here, let me give you an example. Jesus said this one time, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Now, they didn't just hear that. It was written down on a tablet of stone by God's finger. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It was on Mount Sinai. Moses brought it down, you know. This was very, very, very important. It was one of the top ten rules that the Jews had to follow. And Jesus said, you've heard that, right? Well, everybody said, well, yeah, of course we heard that. And Jesus said this, but I tell you, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Whoa, how many murderers are there in the room? based on that standard. If that's the definition of murder, calling somebody an idiot or, or being angry with somebody or cursing someone, I'll tell you what, I've probably been in hell like 5,000 times with just my little brother Ken. <laughs> right? Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say, you, you know, it used to be you just couldn't murder somebody physically. You couldn't take their life. But now I'm telling you, if your heart's wrong before a brother or sister, you've murdered them. Why would he do that? Because he wanted to prove something to us. We can't do it. We can't live this life on our own. We have impure hearts, and if we want pure hearts, he's going to have to do it. His death on the cross was the only means for us to ever live in the way he called us to live. Because after he died and rose from the dead and went back to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to live in us, to strengthen us and teach us how to live. So, the amazing thing about Jesus' teaching as amazing as the teaching was, he always backed it up with action. Always. Jesus once said, the greatest commandment in the whole law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said that. But you know, every morning Jesus got up while it was still dark and he went out and he prayed with his heavenly father. He spent time, invested time with his heavenly father. Why? Because he loved him with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you see, when Jesus talked about prayer, he wasn't just talking about prayer. He brought from the, from the experience of his life in prayer what we are supposed to be and do in prayer. We're going to talk about that in Discipline 101. And then Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how did Jesus love his neighbors? Well, he fed the hungry ones. He healed the sick ones. He even raised some of the dead ones. He cast the evil spirits out of those who had evil spirits. And, and this is, I mean, all of that is incredible. But this might even be the most incredible thing that Jesus ever did. He looked at people that everybody hated, and he loved them. He said, you know, 
You're an outcast, right? Come on, you can be part of my group. You're a tax collector, right? Why don't you be one of my followers? Jesus welcomed the ones that nobody welcomed. Well, actually, that's not the most amazing thing he ever did. The most amazing thing he ever did was he died for us. And while they were driving the nails in his wrists and in his feet to kill him for the sins of all of us in the room today, he looked up to God and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That is the most amazing act of love. I mean, if you want to talk about somebody who always practiced what he preached, it's Jesus. And that's why he looked at the disciples that day. That's why he said, a teacher, you know, or I should say a student is not greater than his teacher. It's good enough when the student is fully trained to be like the teacher. If Jesus is the teacher, wow, I'd love to be fully trained, wouldn't you? Uh, Speaking of training, Notice Jesus didn't say when the student is fully trying, but when the student is fully training. There's such a big difference between trying and training. Trying is like, oh, I'm going I'm to try to dunk a basketball after church today. Everybody want to stick around and watch that? No point. Because I can't do it. I can't dunk a basketball after church today, no matter how hard I try. And the fact is, even if I trained for the rest of my life, I still can't dunk a basketball because the laws of gravity and other things will come into effect. But let's take another physical thing, running a marathon. Let's say I said, hey, after worship today, all of us are going to try to run a marathon. And we'll all go out here to Knock Road, and we'll all start running down towards the high school. And most of us will drop before we get to the high school. (laughs) Right? Okay, because trying doesn't finish marathons, but training does. And the reason I know that is because back in 2006, Mark Stahlsmith called me up. Well, no, I called up Mark Stallsmith. I was in Florida at the time. I was all excited because I had just run seven miles on the beach. And I said, hey, Mark, I just ran seven miles. And he, and he just paused for a second. He goes, seven miles. He goes, wow, you're seven weeks into a 20-week training program for a marathon. I was like, are you crazy? And, and he said, no, seriously. And so he put together this program. He emailed it to me. And he said, if you'll do this, this, and this, in 20 weeks, you'll be able to run a marathon. In Cleveland in May, we'll be able to run a marathon. I was like, I don't think so. But I started doing it. I started doing the jogging and the running, you know, and I ran eight miles one time, and then 10, and then 12, and then 14, and I was like, whoa, I might be able to run a marathon. And 20 weeks later, on May the 21st, I think it was, of 2006, we ran a marathon. All 28, or 26, seemed like 28, 26 miles, 385 yards. Okay, so here's the point. In 10 weeks, in 10 weeks from today, We can be more like Jesus. We can be living like Jesus more than we ever have before, but it won't happen by hoping that we will or praying that we will or trying that we will. Praying's a good thing, but in addition to praying, we have to train. Prayer's part of the training. Reading the Bible's part of the training. Interacting with other human beings is part of the training. Worshiping is part of the training, but it's intentional. Training is always intentional. It's regular, and it's hard at first. And sometimes it never gets easy. But training brings fruit where trying fails. And what Jesus said is, if you will train, you can be like me. Huh. Who wants to be like Jesus? Anybody? Okay, take try- it's going to take training, not trying. So here are three techniques Jesus used to train his disciples. The first one is Jesus showed them by example. The next thing Jesus did was he sent them out to do it by themselves. And then the last thing he did was he corrected them when they failed or got off the, uh, off the focus. Think of how many times Jesus' disciples must have seen him heal a sick person. 
cast a demon out of a person. How many times he must have seen them feed hungry people? How many times he must have seen them welcome in an outsider, an outcast? And every time Jesus did that, as they were watching, they took note. Oh, so that's how he heals that guy that has no, no, no ability to walk. So that's how he, oh, he taught about, he taught about God's love this way. He, he said this about God's forgiveness. And, and, you know, and they actually eventually started writing it down. And the thing is, they did this every day for three years. I mean, they might have been for a year or two already doing, or, or I should say just watching Jesus before he actually sent them out to do it. Because the best way we can learn anything is by watching the master at it do it, right? I mean, I, I said this at last service. Somebody asked me last night, how can I get my son to be a better shooter in basketball? I said, that's simple. Send him to a Dave Roman shooting camp. I don't know if Dave Roman still does shooting camps, but if he does, I mean, the guy once shot, I think it was 76 free throws blindfolded in a row. He made them. I mean, I've shot 76 free throws lots of times. <laughs> I didn't make them. You know, I might have made half of them. He made them all blindfolded. So if you want somebody to teach your kid how to shoot, I might think I would go find Dave Roman. And the thing is, if you want to find out how to live the way God wants us to live, the best way to do that is to follow Jesus. And that's what these guys were doing. You know, we have this myth of quality time in our culture that if we just spend a half an hour a day doing this or an hour that we'll, you know, that we'll end up being able to do it, you have to immerse your life in something if you want to be a master at it or if you want to master it. If we want to be like Jesus, it's going to be a full-time commitment. So then the next thing Jesus did, after they had watched, maybe a year, year and a half, maybe two, he said, okay, I'm sending you guys out. And here's what he did. He said, this is the task. You're going to preach, teach, heal, and cast out demons. That's it. Don't get it sidetracked. I just want you to do those things. Here's the next thing. I don't want you to take a bunch of extra food and stuff. You don't have to take swords, nothing like that. God's going to provide everything you need. And then he said, here, let me fill you with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a big plus when you're going to do the things of God, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So he filled them with the Holy Spirit, and then he sent them out. You know, Jesus didn't just throw them in the lake and say, swim. He had been teaching them every stroke for the last two years. He had been showing them. He'd, he'd gotten them in the water. I'm sure they knew how to float and that kind of stuff already. Now he says, okay, swim. And when they came back, they were all amazed. They said, Jesus, you won't even believe this. The demons even were subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, don't be excited that the demons are subject to you. Be excited that your name is written in the book of life. You see, Jesus had a purpose. Let's walk this narrow way. And the narrow way leads to where? Heaven. You see, if we walk and walk and walk in his direction, we follow him, we become like him, we trust him first, obviously. We have to trust him and be born again. And we grow up like him. One day we are going to be at the finish line and he's going to welcome us. So what's the third thing? It's the thing that's not fun. Correction. Correction is never fun in the moment. You know, somebody does something and the teacher says, oh, yeah, that's wrong. You get a paper back and you say, C minus? I thought I did better than that. But the teacher has red marks all over it, says this and this and this, and then you make it better. Or the coach says, run that play again, run that play again, run that play again. There used to be a commercial. I don't know what the commercial was for, but I love the, the concept. The concept was a professional athlete is not somebody who does it till they get it right. They do it till they can't get it wrong. You see, that's what we do as Jesus' followers. We do it till we can't get it wrong. And how do we get it, do that? By doing it wrong. We get corrected and shaped. And that's what I love about life groups. 
Life groups help us to sit down with other people who are on the same journey that we're on, and they can encourage us and challenge us and correct us, but the best correction, there are two best corrections. This book. This book is the best correction we have because it's the Word of God, and it tells us what to do, what not to do. And then the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit Himself corrects us in our spirit when we're doing things wrong if we're in tune with Him. And then we have other people that can help us and correct us. So, Let's say that you did what I asked you to do if you never trusted Jesus earlier on in the service and you trusted him. You're born again. You're, you're a baby in Jesus. So over these next 10 weeks, what you're going to do is you're going to find out something. In 10 weeks, you can't become like Jesus. Can't become like Jesus in 10 years, really. You know, I've been doing it for 44 years and I'm still not like him yet. I'm more like him than I was, but I'm not fully like him. It's a lifelong process, and a few minutes here, and then an hour here, then a day here, then a week here, we become more and more and more like him. It's, it, it takes a lifetime. And here's today's commitment. This is what I'm asking us all to do today, to commit to this. I will live like Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit this week. It's a tall order, but Jesus said we can become like him, like our teacher, if we train and if we let the Holy Spirit work in us. So I'm asking for one of two things today from everybody in the room. The first one is if you haven't trusted Jesus, I'm asking you to trust him. Get born again. Let him know that you want the life that's truly life in your life. Do that right now. Simply say, come in and take over. I'm a sinner. I know it. I know that I'm not walking that narrow road. I want to. Fill me up with your life that's truly life. Fill me with your spirit. For the rest of us, please stop trying to be like Jesus. Let's not try to be like Jesus. doesn't work. You know, and if we try to be like Jesus and we succeed this much, what happens is it fills us with pride. Hey, I did it. And if we fail, it fills us, you know, it, we're despondent. Oh, well, I, I, I guess I can't be like Jesus. Train to be like Jesus. Don't try to be like Jesus. Make that commitment today. I'm going to train more and more and more. And I know some of you have already been training for years, decades, but make that commitment for these 10 weeks, 70 days, to train and train and train. Because at the end of them, the result will be we will be living more like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to show us what we didn't know, how to be like you. For sending Jesus to do what we couldn't do, bring life out of, of the deadness of our hearts. Thank you for sending Jesus to die and rise and then to send your spirit so we can live in your power. God, I pray for everyone in the room who came in here not knowing you that this would be the day that they make that commitment. And for the rest of us, God, that do know you, I pray that we would recommit our lives, rededicate our lives to training to be more and more like you, that in our lives of prayer and study and service and fellowship and worship, that we would be serious about you. Fill us with your spirit. Do in us what we can't do for ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.